You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bream. Eric Scopel is with me on the podcast as always, and we are here to get you ready for this weekend's home football game. The number 11 ranked Oregon Ducks, 2-0 in the Pac-12, taking on the 1-1 UCLA Bruins. Chip Kelly's return or second game back at Autzen Stadium. Game is set to kick off at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time. Game has been finally picked up and they've decided it's going to air on ESPN2 with Jason Benetti, Andre Ware, and Taylor McGregor on the call for this football game. Uh, Oregon comes into this one, like I said, 2-0, 35-14 victory week one of the Pac-12 season at home against Stanford. And then last weekend they beat Washington State 43-29 on the road. Uh, Oregon, or excuse me, UCLA, on the other hand, they're 2-0. They have uh, gone to Colorado and lost 48 to 42. Um, they were supposed to play Utah last weekend, but that was deemed a no contest because the Utes had to cancel. And then in like a 48 hour span between the decision and kickoff, they were scheduled for a Sunday game against California in which they won 34 to 10 to improve to one and one on the football season. Eric, just overall your thoughts on this game the, 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 we're going to break down some in detail some of the area, other areas of this game, but just what is at stake for Oregon in this game and you, you think going into week three of the Pac-12 slate? Obviously, they can't lose, and I think they have to win this pretty decisively, and we'll talk about some of the reasons behind that part in a second here because there are some pretty significant injury-slash-COVID-related concerns entering this game for UCLA. And again, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and I think UCLA is like – Gosh, for two weeks in, I have no idea what kind of a football team they have. I mean, they go against Colorado, and their defense allows 48 points, and their offense scores 42. So the offense has been pretty consistent because they scored 34 on the second week against Cal. But then that UCLA defense completely shuts down Cal on the week two. Ten points allowed. One of those, Three of those points came on a field goal that, that Cal received basically after – a UCLA blocked punt put them in the red zone. And so it's like that defense was incredible in that game. And you just look at the splits. It's like Colorado ran for 264 yards and then Cal ran for 54. And so I, I don't know exactly. I know we, you can listen to podcasts we did yesterday with um, Mike Regalado from Bruin Report Online, just talking about kind of the up and down nature of that defense. It's like one week they look like, and again, Colorado might be pretty good. I mean, they're one of what, three three, two and O teams in the league along with Oregon and USC. Um, but like for Colorado to go out and score 48 points, I think at that point I was like, okay, UC like might kind of stink. And I know I picked Cal to win that game. And then they go out and completely different look in that next game. And of course it's the weird things. Matt acknowledged the fact that this game was not only had about 48 hours of, of game time or, you know, of actual time, I should say, um, from when it was scheduled to, to when it was played. And I think that was Cal's first game. Plus Cal had a very bizarre fall camp because of COVID. I think it was restricted to just a couple of weeks. So 
some reasons why Cal might have been rusty in that game. But like still, it's like I don't know exactly what UCLA is right now. Um, I think their offense seems to be doing pretty decent under Chip Kelly. Their their defense was really, really bad one week and then really, really good the next. So um, when you add that in with what we'll talk about here from an injury perspective in a second for UCLA, it's like, I think Oregon's going to win. That's my prediction. Um, but I'm also at the same time, like UCLA is kind of this like really bizarre unknown team, even though they played two games already. We're playing, we're, we're going to see two of the best two, not two of the two best uh, third down conversion teams in the conference. Oregon is by and far better than everybody else in the conference right now. It's early sample size, but two games in they're averaging a conversion rate of 72.73% uh, on third downs this season. UCLA is second at 51.85. And then I think if you go on the other side, you know, Oregon is, is they're good. They're fourth in the conference and third down defense, you know, convert, you know, opponents are converting just 39% of their, their opportunities. UCLA one spot behind them, 39.39. So a 10th of a percentage point separates these two. Um, third down is going to be key. Both teams have shown two weeks in um, that they are very good at converting third downs and that they are getting off the football field uh, on third down when, when they're on defense and, um, Many, many other keys to the game, and we'll get to that here in the second half of the show. But from an injuries perspective, um, Oregon should be getting back some help this week. Um, probably most notably uh, tight end positions. Uh, also, the defensive line, we'll, we'll see uh, Popo Omave uh, be eligible to play as well. Or I shouldn't say eligible, but be cleared to play. Uh, if needed. So things, Eric, things are trending in the right direction from an injuries perspective, but they're also going to be without a few guys as well. Yeah. Let's start with who they're not going to have, because I think that's kind of notable here. Uh, Micah Pittman starting receiver will not play. Mario Cristobal said he's not available on Wednesday. That's the last time we spoke with Mario. Um, so that's pretty significant. And then a couple of defensive backs are also cleared out. They're also out for the second consecutive week. Steve Stevens, Daywood Davis. Stevens is pretty notable because he, on the depth chart, all fall has been listed as Nick Pickett's backup. Well, Pickett's not going to be in the first half of this game, the Oregon starting boundary safety um, because of a targeting call against Washington State. And Stevens would have been the logical fit as the replacement there. He's not going to play. That's going to force a couple of uh, other players to start. And I think Oregon is deep there, but not particularly experienced. And certainly that's a kind of position group to be watching. And then the last one here, Justin Flo, not available. And I don't want to go too far onto this, but it was rumored and posted online by both Justin Flo and one of his high school coaches that he suffered a season-ending injury. Mark Cristobal would not go into much detail of that other than to say he's not available and that he would prefer to address injuries in person and that information coming from him rather than that information coming online. So certainly I think he probably kind of, I'd say probably, it pretty clearly rubbed him the wrong way that that yes. information circulated online without him being the one to release it. So I'm sure there was a probably a conversation behind closed doors between Justin and the coach who released that information about, Hey, this isn't how we're going to handle business. Uh, what was stated online is there's a, a torn meniscus in his knee and he would miss the rest of the season. This is officially flow. One of the two five-star linebacker recruits, one of the highest rate recruits in program history, significant that it seems like he's out for the year, but Cristobal wouldn't go into detail there. So those are the guys who are unavailable for sure. And then, as you noted, Popo Mabe is back. 
And then the four tight ends here that have not played yet, like Cristobal grouped them into two different groups. I thought this was interesting, but like neither is clear whether or not they're going to play. So Hunter Kentmoyer and Cam McCormick are quote unquote being evaluated and Spencer Webb and Patrick Herbert are questionable. So there's like two, two different contingents of these tight end um, pairings here from a health perspective. My guess is we're more likely to see Campmore and McCormick back this week than we are Webb and Herbert at the same time. Um, I don't know what to think from an injury perspective at tight end. So I think my, my, my guess here is we're going to see at least one or two of these guys back, which will help because Oregon has been playing basically Ironman with DJ Johnson, uh, the scholarship tight end, and then Cooper Schultz being kind of the when they go two tight ends and they want to maybe go a little bit bigger packages around the goal line. I think we've seen that a couple of times. And even for first downs, like short yardage situations on third or fourth, they've gone there too. Cooper Schultz, a, a walk-on true freshman has come out and blocked a little bit, but I think we're going to at least see a little bit more of the complement of Oregon's tight ends. So that's Oregon. That's where they're at now. And then the, the notable part here, Matt is. is it's not just like, Oregon. Is you still going to have its starting quarterback? Because it sounds like Dorian Thompson-Robinson, based upon a report on Bruin report online, might not be available this game because he tested positive for COVID-19. I think there's certainly a lot of rumors going around. And I've not really wanted to dip my toe into that water. But what I will say is the fact that UCLA was asked about it and chose not to respond one way or the other is kind of pretty telling to me. Like it means something is up there. And if they don't have Dorian Thompson Robinson on this football game, boy, um, this game goes from being possibly sneaky good to possibly being one in which the expectation from an Oregon perspective is the, the line was 11 points, I think, uh, before this news hit. And then it jumped to 17. And so the expectation is, if Dorian Thompson Robinson can't play for the Bruins at quarterback, Oregon should and needs to win this game almost by three touchdowns in, in my eyes. Well, and the line moved, we should note, from 13 and a half in terms of Oregon being a favorite to 17. And I don't know where it's at at the time of us recording this. It might have moved. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Thompson Robinson, if there's clarity on this, I wouldn't be surprised if that line moves to 18, 19, maybe 20 points, something like that. So um certainly a game where Oregon will be favored by more than we thought and we should know so that the the quarterbacks that Oregon has to be prepared for obviously Dorian Thompson Robinson DTR who Mario Cristobal said is one of the more dynamic players not only in the conference but in the country at quarterback ran for 100 something yards against Colorado um threw for a bunch of yards in that game too played well against Cal last week as well super dynamic guy certainly one of the more impressive dual threat quarterbacks in the conference, along with Oregon's Tyler Shuck, which is something I don't think either of us expected to be saying two weeks into the season. If it's not Thompson Robinson, it's going to be Chase Griffin, a redshirt freshman quarterback, five foot 11, 185 pounds, certainly undersized, has basically no collegiate game tape. I think he played about a handful of snaps against Cal last week. Didn't play at all in 2019 as a true freshman. Um, Hard to know how to prepare for this sort of a player. He was a pro-style listed quarterback out of the Texas, out of, out of the Houston area in Texas um, in 2019. Not a particularly highly rated recruit, like about 1,275, I think, in the composite. So that's overall. So that's that's like a pretty middling to back-end three-star. I don't want to 
drag him for his recruiting ranking, but that's when we have such limited information, I think it's kind of um, at least important. It's kind of the only, <laughs> it's all about the only valuable information I can give you other than he has one rush for one positive yard so far. So um, kind of an unknown at quarterback if, if DTR is, is held out of this one. Yeah. And just checked again, refreshed the line still 17 and a half. Okay. Uh, so nothing has changed in the 24 hours or so since that news has come out, but that just tells you that this is a game in which uh, William Hill Sportsbook, they're, they're saying the total points is going to be 64 and that Oregon should win this game by 17 and a half points. So if, if there's 64 points out there and they're going to win by, let's just make it easy math, 18, like Oregon's going to score a ton of points here. Like they're, they're, they're thinking that Oregon's going to put up a, a good amount of these points that will, that will happen on Saturday afternoon. And it's going to be interesting to see just, A, what does Chip Kelly do in terms of offense? Does he, if, if he can't play, does UCLA really flip the script on their, on their game plan? Do they change things? Do they go tempo? Do they, do they go super slow? Do they try and, you know, deploy like, like a Stanford-esque game plan where they, you know, milk the clock and shorten the possessions and shorten the game and and really make Oregon's defense have to work and be out there for a long periods of time and, you know, minimize the mistakes? Or do they go tempo and try and, you know, push Oregon's defense and, and tire them out and maybe use tempo as a way to, to maybe be an equalizer? Um it's kind of one of those like, hey, you know what? Like you were game planning all week and now all of a sudden you might have to throw out that entire game plan from an Oregon defensive perspective and from an, a, a UCLA offensive perspective. And, and you got about two days to, to figure out what's new, what's next. Yeah, it's – I mean, from an Oregon perspective, it's kind of strange too, right, in terms of preparing for this. And we should note this will be potentially the second time in three games that – Oregon will face a backup quarterback because of something COVID-19 related. Um, Davis Mills in the opener for Stanford did not play. We should also note if, if Oregon would have played Washington state this week, they would have been probably playing without Jaden Delore at Washington state. Who's also tested positive. The, the, the number of quarterbacks in this conference that have issues with COVID it's like a quarter of the starting quarterbacks in the league. And I mean, that's, that's significant, you know, in terms of the league race and stuff like that. And I think, you know, part of me, I know, I know Matt made this joke last night in our Slack channel that people are going to start saying some sort of conspiracy about how Oregon is, you know, somehow forcing these players to test positive on opposing teams to make their schedule easier. I actually think it hurts Oregon to a certain extent. Like you could make an argument that Oregon wants these teams to be at full strength. So there's not this excuse of, well, Oregon, I'm using my dumb person voice here because it's such a dumb argument, but like Oregon, well, they only have played they only won those three games because they face teams with their backup quarterbacks. Like I could see that becoming not that it's a narrative that is like really has any stakes in reality and it's totally unfair to them, but I could see that becoming some sort of silly narrative of like Oregon runs the table. And then, you know, as the college football playoff committee is making their argument, we see some of the talking heads pick apart the thing and say, well, Davis Mills didn't play in this game and Dorian Thompson Robinson didn't play in this game. Maybe Oregon's really not that impressive. So like, I don't know. It's it's strange. We're we're tracking this all in, in real time here, and, it, and it's also possible that UCLA is showing a little gamesmanship here, and 
they, this rumor has popped up and it's not deep steeped in reality. I, I kind of with you, Matt, it seems like where there's smoke, there's fire kind of situation, but maybe he will be clear to play in this game. And all this will be a bunch of talk on the day or two before the game. And he'll be out there and everything will be kind of back to normal. But certainly I think something, if you're an Oregon fan is to be aware of is that for the second time in, in three games of this season, Oregon may be facing an opponent without its top quarterback. Yeah. And that's the, you made a great point that the, Oregon needs to play these teams at full strength if they want to exactly. make the college football playoff. And it's going to poke holes in their resume, if you will, when you know they start dissecting Oregon and, and look at, oh, well, they beat Stanford by two touchdowns, but they also didn't play Stanford with their starting quarterback and their best one of the better receivers. Oh, they they beat UCLA by three scores, but they gave up a you know, they gave up a lot of yards and they, you know, maybe they gave up 28 points. And oh, by the way, UCLA did that with their backup quarterback on a two-day notice. That that type of stuff is going to sow doubt. And uh, I think Oregon is is a really good football team, but it's kind of almost a no-win situation here now for Oregon. Like you blow them out, you did what you were supposed to do. They they didn't have their 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 top quarterback. You don't blow them out. And it opens up the door of, well, what's wrong with you guys? Because they didn't have their best quarterback. Um, Matt, grand, grand like, scheme. Go ahead. Well, doesn't it feel like, though, like if, since let's say Dorian Thompson Robinson is out, doesn't it feel like Oregon basically has to almost shut UCLA out or like yeah. hold them to like seven or 10 points? So, like, the margin of error here goes from being like, oh, maybe they could win, I don't know, 38 to 24. And everybody's like, that's pretty impressive. To now it's like, they have to win 48 to 13 or something like that for people to be like, well, that was an impressive win. I mean, actually I think this kind of works against them in terms of like, not that not, I mean, it helps them in terms of winning the game, but if we're looking at it from this different perspective of like what the perception nationally is like, I think this actually kind of makes things a little more challenging. Yeah, I agree. And the grand scheme of things, Oregon needs to win. And that's the most important thing. And then you can worry about beauty contests and how you know what your your margin of victory was at, the, at a later time. But the most important thing is, is from an Oregon perspective, they need to walk out of Watson Stadium Saturday afternoon, being three and zero, and going into uh, the Oregon Oregon State game with an opportunity to, to be four and zero. When we we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna discuss kind of these keys to this game for from Eric's perspective for the Ducks and what they need to do to walk out of Austin Stadium with that victory to get to 3-0. and Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bray, Eric Scopel with me as always and teased it at the beginning uh, just before that break. But uh, Eric, keys to the game. I, I think offensively, there could be a lot of these that, that stick out in my mind. But for, for you, what, what, what's maybe one of the one or two most important things this offense has to be able to get done? I'll give you two. I think the first one's very obvious. Uh, limit your mistakes and play four full quarters of quality football, which, you know, if you were to just take the second halves of Oregon's two games this season, you know, and put that into a game, they, they, they've outscored opponents 50 to 17 in the second half so far. Um, really impressive. No turnovers in those halves. I don't have the yardage splits in front of me, but it's unbelievable numbers. I mean, they've just completely dominated second halves of games. The reality is first halves have been pretty average. They've, they've only outscored Washington State and Stanford 28 to 26. They trailed Washington State at half. They've turned it over five times in those games. So, like, for me, it's like, can they put together four full quarters offensively? Can they avoid the first half blunders of just, you know, most, I mean, let's be real. These turnovers primarily have been unforced. I mean, you look at, you look at the interceptions that Tyler Shuck has thrown. The first one just kind of threw it into a bad spot in coverage. Like, that wasn't, that was, that was, I don't think that was like, Stanford making an incredible play. Sure, it was a difficult catch to make. The one last week, you can argue probably that that might have been some sort of infraction because Johnny Johnson was basically like grabbed and turned when he was supposed to catch the football. But the ball was thrown right to Washington State. And then the fumbles have, aside from, I guess, Travis Dye, where he was hit pretty hard at the line of scrimmage, but the Cyrus CBB Likios turnover, watch that one. I mean, he literally just slips on the turf and the ball pops in the air. And then the other one um, on the handoff between Chuck and, and Verdell last weekend, same kind of thing. I mean, that was just a, that was an execution error. So like they need to, they need to clean these things up. And if they do that, I really think they're going to win pretty handily. And then the last one or the second one I'll give you from an offensive perspective is this offensive line. And I should note, go to check out duckterritory.com. I have a scopal system kind of breaking down in greater detail. Um, the way this offensive line is played and, and kind of the interesting fact that they're rotating so much, but I, I think another key on Saturday against the Bruins is, is really just continuing what they've done so far this season on the offensive line. They've been better in the second half than the first, but again, like if they play four full quarters and they can play like we've seen in the second half where they just completely maul the opposing offensive line or defensive line, I should say like this game could get ugly pretty fast. And like I, I mentioned it earlier in the, in the show, I don't know what to make of UCLA's front because they allowed like 264 yards against Colorado on the ground, which is a lot. And then just 54 against Cal last week. So I, it, I think this is a good defensive front from, from UCLA or, or a, a maybe, maybe one of the better they'll face this year, probably the best they've seen thus far. But I could also see this being a game where Oregon, which by the way has been averaging 269 yards rushing per game, could also have a field day there too. I agree with you. The, the turnovers – that could be what's holding back this team from truly just blowing out an opponent. It's creating some really bad turnovers on their own on the, on the offensive side of the football. Whether, like you said, it's it's the interceptions or like that Cyrus Abilakio just fluke fumble, like this is random. He just doesn't he doesn't do that. Um, Travis Dye had a fumble in the Washington State game. We've had some mesh fumbles. We've had some poor interceptions thrown just really weird stuff offensively. And, and, and then you're right. Like that could be what's, what's holding back 
this offense from really just blowing things open and, and really dominating. And then on the flip side, like this might be one of your keys, Eric, but I look at this defensively, they got to create turnovers too. Like that's also not helping in, 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 in their ability to blow teams out. Yep. That's one of two I'll give you on the defensive side is you have to force turnover. And I know we've said this stat so much. I'll just be really quick. 27 turnovers in 14 games last year. That's almost two a game. Zero turnovers in two games this year. Got to force a turnover. Um, UCLA is, along with Oregon, tied for the worst turnovers or worst giveaway mark, I guess I should say, with five so far in two games, like the Ducks. They've kind of been snake bit from that regard. And then the other one here is something that I don't think we've ever really had much of a concern since Andy Avalos has taken over, and that's just tackling better. Yeah. I mean, very, very straightforward, just – you got to wrap up, bring guys down. We saw it early against Stanford on those first couple of drives where Austin Jones runs through arm tackles, makes some plays. I think Michael Wilson, one of the receivers, did a couple, had a couple of similar plays and like screen passes that he converted for first downs that, you know, Oregon was in position to make the plays but didn't. And then against Washington State, you think back to Deion McIntosh, and I know he didn't even reach 100 yards rushing, but early on he was just – they couldn't tackle him in space. And a lot of it yep. was the linebackers. And I saw similar things as well with obviously Renard Bell and Travell Harris. Both guys are really explosive in the open field. So got to make, got to tackle better. Um, not a huge surprise that they've struggled a little bit here, given the nature of the off season, but this is their third game. I think the excuse of the off season kind of, that starts to kind of wane a little bit more here. And if they come out here and if UCLA is breaking tackles all over the place and that's a continued thing, you start to really, I think become concerned, especially when, and you will go back and watch the take. I don't want to like, well, I will, I'm not going to say I'm not going to, I will. I'm, I'm, I'll point to the fact that I don't think Isaac Slade, Mato Atia, Mace Funa, um, those two in particular, I thought were pretty bad in space last week against Washington state. They need to play better. Yeah. They tackling is, is a good one. That's one in which um, this really needs to get figured out. And it's, it's a weird deal because look, they haven't had a normal off season. Exactly. They haven't had a, a normal training camp. And and you have to also take that into account. And um, the coaches said that, you know, our, our guys, it wasn't a, an excuse, but it was our guys were being held to a standard in which they didn't have a typical normal offseason to be prepared for. And so you have to take that into account. But I think some of this stuff is, is, is just simply you need, you need to execute better. And this isn't a lack of practice. This isn't a lack of rep type deal and that's where I kind of land with tackling like you can maybe you're missing the angles or or maybe you're missing uh your reads a little bit more because a lack of practice and lack of preparation um but tackling that that should be you should be up to speed there by now in my eyes um let's transition now over to some predictions uh I'll I'll start off first with offense um Tyler Shuck had a huge game against Washington State, very efficient game against Stanford. Um, he had a rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown uh, against Stanford. He threw for four touchdowns, didn't run for a touchdown uh, against the Cougars. I think Tyler Shuck will account for five or more touchdowns Saturday afternoon against UCLA. That could mean he throws five touchdowns. That could mean he runs for five. Um, it's going to be some kind of combination in between. But I, I think Tyler Shuck is going to have this – Third start, we're going to see him kind of settle in. It's a home game. Uh, he'll have some of his, his weapons back at tight end, which will help things a little bit there. Um, their running backs are healthy. You know, Pittman's out, but the receiving core is improving. Uh, I think we're going to see Tyler Shuck's best game 
in his three year his three game starting career uh, at Oregon early on, and he's going to have a huge offensive pr- production. Along the same lines with you, Matt, and mine's not touchdown specific. But you, I, by the way, and I think those listening probably know by now. Every Monday morning, I put a story up with five predictions for the upcoming game, just to kind of turn the corner in the week and say, "Hey, let's look ahead really quick." Um, on Monday, I predicted Tyler Shuck would throw for a new career high in passing yards. The current career high was 312 yards last week against Washington State and Pullman. I wrote that also at the time, kind of thinking maybe Micah Pittman would be available for this game, but it clearly that's not going to be the case. Um, I still, I'm going to stick with it though. I think he's going to throw for 313 or more yards in this game. And, and I think the fact that they'll have some tight ends back will help. And I also think I was impressed. It seemed like Tyler Shuck was impressed. It seems like the offensive, offensive coaching staff was impressed just with the way Oregon's receivers four or five and six performed, right? I mean, we talked all fall camp about how it's Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson, Micah Pittman, the big three receiver, and then it's kind of a bunch of question marks. I know we didn't get massive production from Devin Williams, Chris Hudson, and Josh Delgado, but they combined for, I think, six catches for 61 yards, those three. I think, I think those three guys are, are going to be up for the challenge again, and I think this offense in terms of the passing, I think we're going to see a, a, a best yet from the passing offense. And I think Tyler Shuck's going to have another big day throwing the football. Defensively, um, looking at this defense I, with the, the doubts that DTR plays at, at quarterback, the type of offense the Bruins run, I think Oregon's defense is going to have a show out game. They're going to get three sacks and they're also going to create two turnovers. for this Oregon offense to try and take advantage of. A little double prediction from Matt there. Double prediction. Didn't need to do it. Um, Well, I made this prediction story previous or prior to knowing um, DTR status for this game. Obviously, I thought early in the week there was no indication he wouldn't play. Um, And so I was pretty tame here with this prediction. And I guess I'll probably just expand on it and kind of borrow what you just said. I said they finally forced a turnover. I didn't want to go crazy and say they were going to force three or something because – I think I predicted that against Washington State, and look what happened. So I, I, I'll say they'll force two turnovers. I agree with you on that. I think I, I, I think I noted, I noted it earlier that UCLA has not done very well at protecting the football either. I think this is a game where Oregon can take advantage of that, and I think they finally get on the board from a turnover perspective. And, and again, this is a group that was so good last year, and I just I feel like there's, the ball is going to start breaking their way. And like it wouldn't surprise me entirely. And I won't predict it because that seems bold. But like I wouldn't be stunned at all if this is an ugly game for UCLA, breaking in a new quarterback, facing a really athletic defense, and that they even force more than two turnovers. And it's become something where it's like, okay, wow, the dam finally breaks for Oregon here, and they just go out and and really play an awesome defensive game, make a ton of plays. Like I'm not going to be stunned by that either. Um, I also want to just note one special teams prediction I made. Okay. And that is, I think Mikhail Wright's going to have a kickoff return touchdown. Ooh. Um, if I'm, if I'm UCLA and ship Kelly, I'm probably not kicking him the football, but if they do, I just have a sense that like, he's going to, he, he almost did it against Washington state at the end of that first half. And obviously that play was really, really big in terms of flipping the momentum. I'm starting to think you kick him the ball, you're in trouble. And, and I think he's going to take one to the house if he's given the opportunity. And he might not even be given the opportunity. Chip Kelly might just literally kick it <laughs> through the end zone every time if he can. And that would probably be the strategy I'd employ. But if they make the mistake of doing it, uh, I think you got to watch out. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things like why are teams still kicking 
the football to him. It, it doesn't make much sense. Um, yet we continue to see it happen here and there. Uh, we'll have to find out if, if UCLA does it, you know, I think that's for me, that's what's next. Like, do, do they, um, do they continue to, to, to do what other, the other two teams have done and give Oregon opportunities because he's had some game breaking moments this season already for the ducks. Um, all right, let's move into our predictions here. Um, I'm looking. I'll go first. I'm, I'm looking at this game and, and knowing what DTR and what's going on with him. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking that UCLA has any real chance of covering the original spread, which started at 11, jumped to 13 before the news. Um, I have a hard time looking at this and thinking. Oregon's going you know, without DTR or Oregon will win this game by 13 or fewer points. I have a hard time getting behind that. Agreed. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and I, I'm going to expect DTR not to play in this game. And even if he does, I'm going to stick with it. But I think Oregon wins this game kind of in a going away fashion. We see an offense that dominates. We see a defense that gives the the Duck offense a couple extra opportunities to score, and they walk off the football field with a 42-21 victory, 21-point win for the Ducks. Um, And it might be a case in which it's a backdoor cover, but nonetheless, it's a cover. And Oren walks off the football field in a pretty dominating fashion. We're going to have pretty similar predictions here. Um, which is probably not that surprising. Those listening, no. you know, that's typically the case. <laughs> um, you know, Oregon, I, w- I was just looking at this. And Oregon and UCLA, by the way, we should know, they just haven't played that much the last decade. Like, they've had yeah. a, n- numerous seasons where they just haven't faced each other. Um, the largest margin of victory since 2013 was 42-21 the last time they faced when Chip Kelly brought UCLA to Autzen Stadium. I think, <clears throat> and and prior to that, it was forty-two to fourteen in twenty thirteen. I think this is a game that Oregon wins by more than twenty-one points. They cover the spread, and I'm predicting a forty-eight to twenty-three win. Like you, I think the Oregon offense is just too good for UCLA's defense, and I think the Oregon defense forces some turnovers. Notice, I did predict twenty-three points for UCLA there. I don't know if Chip's going to go for two or something, but I could also see this being a thing where. Once again, UCLA has some success moving the football, but is forced to settle for field goals. And I, I think if you'd asked me before the season if I would have predicted UCLA without DTR to score more than 20 points against this Oregon defense, I probably would have said no way. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna be kind of cautiously optimistic here, but also just not be too over the top with the predictions from a defensive perspective because. Again, Oregon's defense hasn't been as good as we thought so far. I think they've shown signs, especially in the second half. But I also think just like if you're a fan and Oregon allows 23 points, but they score 48, like celebrate that. That's pretty darn good, especially against a UCLA team, which has showed some improvement this year. And I know, again, we've talked about the impact from a national perspective if DTR doesn't play. I'm sure there's going to be major contingents of the fan base that would be disappointed with allowing 23 points against UCLA. But it's Chip Kelly. The offense has been pretty darn good so far this season. And even if uh, DTR doesn't play, I, I still think they'll they'll find a way to move the football and score some points against Oregon. 
Real quick, before we wrap up the show, um, this is in real time of us recording it, so it's going to be old news once it gets once we upload the podcast. But nonetheless, John Wilner of the Mercury News tweeted out uh, during this prediction segment that hashtag Pac-12 source UCLA all clear to travel dodges major contact tracing issues. And then he says, I have not confirmed DTR's availability, but it's a, nonetheless, it's, it, it is worth noting like, Hey, look, con, you know, COVID stuff pops up on a Thursday. Yeah. You kind of wonder, is the game going to be played? And um, it's, it's kind of a, it's a joke, but it's also kind of serious in which, Hey, you know what? I'll believe a kickoff happens when the ball gets put on the tee, the, the whistle is blown, and one team runs down to kick the football, and the other one is is waiting to receive it to start the game. Just kind of feels like that's what's happening in college football these days. And, you know, 17 games, I think, have been canceled this week because of COVID. So at least from a very respectable outlet, uh, Mercury News, and maybe the guy that has the best – Pulse the of the entire Pac-12, John Wilner, yeah. hearing that this game will be in fact played and has no chance of being canceled. Good news there, and I'll say this: like I think every weekend now, you have to be prepared for the fact that a game could get canceled, and maybe they have to play on a Sunday, right? I mean, we just saw that happen with UCLA last week. Um, we should also note, and I'm sure those listening, some of them probably are familiar. The Pac-12 has um, opened the door for non-conference games if they are rescheduled, um, and. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, again, I'm not surprised by anything. It's 2020. It's a really wacky year. But if at some point in the season, let's hope Oregon's not the team with the outbreak, but that there's an opponent that Oregon faces that is unable to play, and you're looking and seeing Oregon scrambling on a Saturday, you know, on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, in a Pac-12, trying to find a replacement game, and, and Oregon might play um, another Pac-12 opponent because of a cancellation there, or even go play a school from a different conference just because of these weird circumstances. So you got to be prepared for everything. Clear your Sunday schedules as well, I guess, going into the week <laughs> is what I'll say, um, because it's just weird times right now. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Until we talk to you Saturday early evening, Yeah, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.